Hey, I'm Jen. And I'm Yansu. And you're listening to Auth Ethnic, a podcast with real conversations about race and social issues in America. As a mix of Chinese, Korean, and Chicana, we give the mic to people, stories, and topics that aren't always talked about in the Asian American community. For our first topic ever that we're going to discuss, uh, we would like to talk about anti-Blackness in Asian American culture and in the Asian American community. Mm-hmm. Um, I reached out to you because I saw your post, uh, your Facebook post about um, the documentary Asian Americans on PBS. And you had made some really good points in there. And that's actually what inspired me to want to do like an episode. But then, you know, everything started to happen with COVID and with George Floyd. Um, But yeah, can you kind of talk a little bit about um, the PBS documentary? Yeah, sure. Um, So, you know, I I watched the PBS Asian American documentary uh, with a lot of enthusiasm because I've never seen something like that before, as I'm sure Mm -hmm. many Asian Americans um, have felt when they saw the advertisements. Uh, so I was like watching it and just like making mental notes about what I was seeing and what stories were being emphasized, how much time was being um, allocated. Um, but basically the, my review essentially is that it's definitely eye opening in terms of the experiences and facts uh, that like I didn't know about. Right. And it does, and this documentary does do a good job in showing the complexities of Asian American family and culture. And I really like the, uh, the covering of the Delano grape strikes, murder of Vincent Chin, the Vietnam war slash ethnic studies push that was in like the third um, se- section of the uh, documentary. But I also felt like there could have been a lot of improvements, right? There was a mm-hmm. lot of missed opportunities. Um, it's very East Asian centric. More, mm. uh, there needs to be more voices on Filipino and indigenous Hawaiian experiences because it's APIA, right? Pacific mm-hmm. Islander. Um, and there needs to be more vo- voices on like Lao, Cambodian, and, and other Southeast Asian narratives, right? Um, right. Like the, this documentary needs to directly address anti Blackness taught and learned within the Asian and Asian American community. Uh, the documentary barely touches on that, uh, if at all, that sentiment. And many immigrants are taught to be afraid of Black folks um, even before coming to the U.S. So, yes, the white-controlled media was framing Koreans and Blacks against uh, one, one another, like in terms of um, the L.A. riots, for example. Right. But it's like boiling down to uh, Asian mistreatment of Black community, of the Black community, um, to ignorance of the U.S. civil rights history, and it lets Koreans off the hook a little too easy, in my opinion. Koreans can be racist AF. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not the Korean one, so you you heard it from from YP. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and it gets rid of any sort of agency and, ac- and accountability within the Asian American community, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm not sure if PBS ran out of funding or, or time, oh. but the covering of the post 9-11 America, I, what the hell? Like, they, I feel like they should just cut out with the rah-rah, I'm loyal to America, part one, maybe like Yahoo, 
and just give more time to Muslim and South Asian academics, activists, and community leaders. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, it's important to celebrate this work. I mean, I do appreciate and, and treasure this documentary, but it's also equally important to identify what we need to improve on if we're going to continue to be better. Right. No, I totally agree with that. Like, you can paint a picture, but maybe it was a bit too positive and glazing over the more darker parts mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we perhaps don't like to acknowledge as a community uh, or that we don't have dialogues with. And like, I just feel like what's going on right now um, in the world, it kind of forces not only us, but everyone as a whole to really look in the mirror, look at the TV screen or computer screen, go outside, look outside and, and really address this and have conversations about this. But there's also a lot of people who just refuse to look at the mirror or even if they're looking at that the reality, they just refuse to believe that it's real. Um, and that's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Even within like personal family spheres or mm -hmm. like personal friend spheres, like I feel like I've kind of seen a lot of people choose not to participate in it. And of course, ignorance is not um, in support. Um, it's actually quite damaging. But I mean, I guess what we hope to kind of address in part one, this part, is like, where do these feelings and views of Black people come from? Like, where did these feelings within our community originate? Mm -hmm. um, both the historical and our own anecdotal experiences, as well as the sociological constructs. And then also, like, why do I or, like, my Asian family and friends personally believe this? Like, how did this get perpetuated? A great place to start would be probably what every single Asian activist has hopefully addressed on Instagram. <laughs> but um, the model minority myth, um, how it's helped us, how it's hurt us and hurt others so basically uh the model minority myth is a term and a set of standards created by whites and given to asian americans around the 1950s and 60s so that's like what 70 uh 70 60 years ago mm. um a model minority is supposed to be this upstanding citizen who has successfully assimilated to the dominant culture so in, in the u.s's case right uh, the dominant culture is white European American culture. Um, and I'm sure our listeners can imagine what that is. Um, a model minority is often industrious, work hard, compliant, law abiding, uh, holds a two parent structure and is passive. Um, and even though this is a stereotype, isn't it out, like, isn't it a positive one, Jen? No, it's not at all. What's um, wrong with it? It's a positive stereotype. Well, while it may be positive for some, um, and while it definitely helped others like gain economic mobility, it, of course, hurt others in the process. And it also really shaped the Asian American psyche to believe that they were, in fact, like this, and thus perpetuated these things into our own culture. So there's a lot of ripple effects that happened. Um, but what I'm really like curious or like interested in finding out about the model minority myth was that it was like in the 60s, right? And mm -hmm. like, I mean, we're recovering from like 
the World War, and then like there's the Cold War. So of course, Japanese Americans were, you know, put into internment camp. Whatever they had had before was pretty much stripped away.、Um, and like suddenly in the '60s, now they're seen as these beacons or like beacons of like examples for other minorities to be like. Of like, look, they played by the rules. They even though they they came out with nothing, now they have stuff again.、Um, And that's why everyone else should kind of be like them, play by our white-imposed rules and structures, and you may just get a small, tiny crumb of the pie we call capitalism. So, yeah, lots of bad things actually that happen. Yeah, that. and and I I really like how you're pointing out that hey, this if this came in the '50s and '60s, and you mentioned like、mm-hmm. World War II and the Japanese internment, like has This country always viewed Asians as this like amazing superhuman group that will、right. always succeed. No, that and and we know from history, like if you just look at history, like that is not the case. You know, people、uh, in this country characterized Asians as as the yellow peril, which you mentioned earlier、um, in in, in a,、uh, another conversation that we had. Um, and that before the model minority、uh, myth was created, and this this positive stereotype, like Asians, like regardless where in Asia you're from, it was seen as like a negative. It's like almost、right. this mysterious, exotic, like, oriental, oriental, like、yeah. mystical、uh, people from a mystical land that's ancient、mm. and sacred. Like what the hell? And <laughs> like from like the 1880s. To the 1940s, like World War II, like we see this rise of anti-Asian sentiment th- throughout the world, not just in the United States, and 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 Chinese legal immigration、um, to the U.S., Europe, and Australia were like at all-time high because whites in Europe, U.S., and Australia wanted a cheaper labor source. Like this was during industrialization for all these、uh, countries, and you know th-、uh, this goes back to exploited labor. And so, so since Asians are physically Like brought to these places, right?、Um, they can't necessarily just assimilate, no matter how hard they try, right? Like right. they are、we'll、always look foreign. Exactly, exactly. So you're、right. physically, culturally, linguistically different, and it was easier、yeah. to just to create a racial backlash. So you start seeing these、uh, images, like this is bef- obviously before social media. So in these newspapers, like <laughs> France and Germany, would create this like、yep. racist, orientalist image of like this yellow. Subhuman hordes from the mysterious Far East that's going to take down Western civilization, and if Chinese migration isn't stopped, and you know,、right. so when you look at the word, like break apart the word "yellow peril," right? You see, yellow is referring to like Asians, and、right. peril is like who's in peril, right? White people, and the xenophobia is like repeatedly hyped up, like decades and decades, as as long as this is a crisis. That's affecting white interests at、yes. home or abroad. Like you'll see、yes. the spike of anti-Asian feeling. So it could be like the Boxer Rebellion in China, or like Japan's victory over Russia in 1910. Like so, or like in this case right now, a threat to economic、uh, white economic security, like taking away jobs, stealing、uh, trade secrets, and all that stuff. Yeah, right. It's always. Like related back to whiteness, it's always a binary between a minority and and whites.、Um, 
and yeah, like you just said, the model minority is definitely related to to us. But for the sake of pitting us against other minorities by trying to hone in our like work ethic and stuff. But then also during the 60s, when this was coined and um, sort of distributed in like the New York Times magazine in 1966 mm. and like all these really big media uh news outlets um during the 60s of course was the civil rights movement the model minority myth comes at a really interesting time very convenient kind of by whites very convenient yes mm -hmm. by whites to be like well why are y'all protesting when you could just be like asian people so we kind of fit into this sort of cultural wedge to like wedge us between uh like kind of pit us between other minorities but in effect that hurts us and others, but it definitely hurts us in, in like forms of like internalized racism. Mm, and like mm -hmm. what I constantly like to say to my friends is like the model minority myth is just one example of this cultural shift within our community of where we want, we're obsessed with whiteness. Like we know that, well, if black is bad, then white is good. So I want to be white. And I mean, there's tons of things I can talk about right now, just what pisses me off about Asian American culture today and like how there's such great examples of how we have stripped ourselves of our Asian-ness. Like for me, my Chinese-ness, mm -hmm. like nobody wears cheap house anymore. Like what? Right. Like that's just weird. And I can totally talk about those sorts of white police spaces, but I will not, I will not. Not for this but episode. Me, not just not for this episode. Not, not this episode. <laughs> oh. I could talk about that forever. Um, but yeah, like with internalized racism, I mean, this is a term of like, I will strip myself of the parts that don't let me fit in for the sake of fitting in. Right. So this sort of cultural erasure of my Asian heritage, of my Asian-ness uh, to become more white, to fit in these white spaces, to assimilate into these white spaces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's really important for for everyone to know like yeah when when we talk about this feeling of like cultural erasure or like us like bending over backwards to fit in mm -hmm. it's more than just like hurt feelings here right like it's essentially power right yeah like when you're in the dominant when you're in the majority like you hold that space whether it's in a classroom or in the larger community or in the halls of government right like this whole idea of, of acceptance or this idea of culture or like expressing yourself like people like us and, and black indigenous and other POC um, uh, people of color, like we have to be wary about that. Like we, we cannot, we cannot not afford to do that. <laughs> Obviously the, the, the levels of danger it varies from each group, you know, like if you have darker skin, you know, and, and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. But oh, at some. some level, you know, depending on the level of privilege, like you do have to be aware of that. And if you're not, you're going to be reminded at one point in your life. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, the model minority myths only helped like a certain pool of Asian Americans, mm. mostly East Asians or or those who had already come and sort of establish a sort of history here, of mm -hmm, a sort mm -hmm. of generational family. Um, it did not help a lot of Southeast Asians, like Vietnamese, Cambodians. So there's right. even a sense of, like kind of what you were say, already saying already about the PBS documentary, like mm -hmm. not addressing 
Southeast Asians and Pacific Islanders. And like also like what you were saying, like even though this model minority myth helps us, it's not it's not something that's permanent, like the era of the model mm -hmm. minority myth. It's not an era. It it can just pop up conveniently when it needs to be popped up and yep. it can easily be taken away and stripped from us. Um like as you were saying, the yellow yellow peril before mm -hmm. um, model minority. And then of course now what we're dealing with with racist acts against Asians um, due to many things, including our Dorito of a president, Trump, um, yes. calling it the China virus. And I think that like in terms of how it's hurting us, right? Well, one, mm -hmm. you pointed out how like how it's it, this whole status, model minority status is temporary, mm. right? Right. But it's also like painting all of us in broad brushstrokes like this mm. one gigantic like Pan -Asian. 16 foot long brush and say oh you <laughs> asians are all the same it's like no we're not overall the model minority myth hurts the larger apia community because it completely erases the needs and struggles of other apia groups they are gonna they tend to be categorized as low income have less access right. to language and mental health services, less access to high quality education, suffer more from health issues and have fewer workplace protections. And the model minority myth like overshadows all of those problems. And so the funding and the support and the attention that's needed to help these Asian communities are just not there. And people suffer for right. it. Right. Yeah. So... I mean, that's the model minority myth in a nutshell, everyone. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, it obviously has a lot of negative effects within our own internal community, which we've covered. Um, of course, also being colorism with our own community. Colorism is steeped within our within our own culture. And I that totally relates back to anti-blackness of just like, well, I don't want to get dark. I don't want to I don't want to be black. And like we take things from black culture, appropriate it, and just choose not to acknowledge them in the process. Oh, hell yeah. Um, like, I guess top of mind for me is like this uh, fast fashion subculture in Japan called Ganguro. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's essentially blackface. It's essentially Japanese women doing blackface. Really? Uh, and wow. putting themselves darker, like way darker than what they are. And like having really peachy sort of really peachy pink like lips and like these bright colors and like yeah i i find it pretty um derogatory and i don't i don't feel like that is a necessary subculture especially when they aren't acknowledging like black individuals and and black women mm -hmm. and then i mean if i can come after k-pop i think like the whole the whole thing of just like jay park <laughs> and like oh like look at me and like this whole like abb the b-boy aesthetic and like having to have rap in every single like k-pop song like someone's the rapper i'm like yeah but like are you the rapper though or are you just like there because like it's so manufactured to the point that you have to have a rap now. Mm. Like, I mean, that's what you're kind of debased to. And like, I mean, debasing rap to like a necessity within a K-pop formula. So those are just instances of like what we take and perpetuate or appropriate, uh, but choose not to acknowledge. Um, right. And, and actually for our listeners who may not be knowing too much about K-pop, like who is Jay Park? Oh, he's a really famous uh, Korean-American rapper who made it big 
in Korea. Um, but now he's kind of coming to America, but he's kind of using black artists and like collabing with them um, mm. to kind of get his name out and stuff. And like, I don't want to like call single him out specifically. I mean, there are plenty of other uh, Asian rappers as well. But like, he's just like the one that comes to mind okay. immediately. Okay. I mean, he he sort of embraces that aesthetic too. Like, even even Asian culture embraces that aesthetic of like the ABB ABG. This sort of like, well, there's a lot of that. I need a whole episode dedica- dedicated to that aesthetic and dedicated to that. Like you, you definitely know that YP, but <laughs> yeah. And and for our listeners who may not know what those acronyms are, but oh it's, my god, uh, I'm so sorry. It's wow. uh, uh, a ABG is Asian baby girl and ABB is Asian baby boy. Um, They're like basically white, basic white people, but like Asian <laughs> with some added black flavors flair but they don't acknowledge any part of that oh so, that's true that's true go- google that yeah along with Gangudo. hey I, I, i'm <laughs> sure a lot of these uh instagram influencers have a black square so doesn't that prove oh my that God. they're for blm black lives matter that was like the most performative thing ever <laughs> that was the that was the most performative thing. And like, I remember talking to you about that. Like, I remember talking to you being like, I did not post one because I didn't see the value in it. And also I didn't see the value of posting a hashtag of like blackout Tuesday or especially not black lives matter. And then yeah. later, you know, during the day, like people were telling people in mass, like do not use the hashtag black lives matter because right. you're, flooding the channel with these black squares and people aren't actually able to access the information that they need. Right. right. Um, and then, you know, there's this whole conspiracy of like who actually did that, who changed the, the hashtag, was it an honest mistake, but like just these performative things during this time of like, I support black people. I'm like, do you? Cause that's like the only thing I've seen from you. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to say it out loud and like, I'm just going to say it and like, I'll probably lose some of my friends, but like some of my Swedish friends, y'all have not posted anything about black lives matter until that fucking like black square. But we'll get to that later. I'm sorry. I might have to like edit myself, like edit that whole, like <laughs> David Chang esque rage. But like, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny that you, um, you mentioned like the, the, hashtag black lives and and whatnot because i've definitely seen people who don't even get to that level yeah um and ignorance at this point is no longer excuse right like you would google right like how many resources (laughs) and like combined documents word docs are like out there in the internet right now to educate people i mean come on i mean there's definitely like this this curation this this curated selection within the Asian community. And also uh, I would even say like this complicitness, like we'll pick and choose what we want to acknowledge and what we want to take, but we're going to be complicit in actually caring for black lives and actually acknowledging anti-blackness within us. And I think the greatest example and the most recent example that many people point to um, was the Hmong American police officer um, who stood by uh, during George Floyd's death. Um, and he's kind of been seen as a symbol of complicitness and complacency within our own culture uh, for not promoting and actually being truly involved in Black Lives Matter. 
Yeah. Um, and, and you, you can visually see it, right? Like in the, in those photos and the video, he's just like, it's almost symbolic as well as literal where he's turning, turned away and he has Mm -hmm. like dumbass look on his face. Like what's happening? (laughs) And like, well, yeah, someone's dying like right there and he's preventing, Mm -hmm. um, civilians and onlookers, um, from interfering. And that's basically like what, it means to be Asian American in, the, in this nutshell. Like, listeners, some of you, like, don't like to hear that. I know you don't like to hear that. But, like, yeah. you can't just pick and choose what you want of the good parts of America mm-hmm. and then sort of, like, ignore, like, all the negatives. Because it's, it's going to come back to haunt you. Right? And also, yeah. on a personal level, like, it shows, like, how shitty of a human being you are. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you posted a black square. No, I'm kidding. With complacency, there's also like these more darker, violent parts when we've pitted ourselves against black communities and black individuals. And I think also something that is um, spoken about more so now um, are the LA riots um, in 1992. And probably one of the more popular. Uh, documentaries on Netflix right now was um, LA 92. Yeah. Um, and like, as I was watching LA 92 on Netflix, which again, what Jen just said, I highly recommend watching. It's mm-hmm. definitely worth your time. Like I had a piece of paper out just like almost like creating a timeline for myself because I, I've heard mm-hmm. of it and I've heard from like other Koreans and right. you know they remember, they remember that that date right. like they they called the la riots by by the date that it happened mm. uh, uh, i think it was a uh, and you know a lot of people are mm. like scarred from it like a lot of korean families are are scarred from it um right. like my stepmom uh was in la when those riots happened like she remembers like the radio mm. korean radio going out like oh my gosh they're burning koreatown what are we gonna do mm. and then they talked about like you know in the united states you can get a gun and then these the store owners korean store owners started posting up in, in in front of their shops and on top of their rooftops uh with guns when the the korean radio stations were just blasting um you know, warnings and saying, hey, look, like, according to this, this lawyer, Korean, Korean American lawyer, um, about Second Amendment rights and whatnot, then Koreans realized, oh, well, we can defend our businesses. Now, the reason why Koreans were forced to do that, right? Like, it's not this heroic Alamo Wild West, like, characterization. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I feel so empowered to do this. No, this was out of desperation because right. the LAPD was like, fuck this place. We're overstretched. Right, white people, we're, you're not helping us. They yeah, helping well, where, where did the model minority myth come there? LAPD abandoned Korea, and they basically wanted to protect, like, Beverly Hills and, like, the rich area. Right. So let, let all the minorities fight it out and kill each other off, mm. right? So basically, uh, there was these, like, famous videos and photos, and again, you can find this on the LA92 documentary, of a lot of these Korean shop owners on top of roofs, like rooftops with rifles and guns and whatnot. And like, just like guarding their property, right? And many of these are, are merchants. And and you do see videos of Korean uh, shop owners like shooting their gun, but yeah. at the end, like they didn't kill anyone. So, mm. so like, like I've shot guns before, right? And, and 
like I don't glorify guns and but yeah. do I know how, no do I generally know how to shoot a gun yeah like do I enjoy target practicing yeah but I don't glorify guns I don't I personally believe that there should be a lot of restrictions right yes. um, in terms of gun laws but again we could say that for another another thing you, you we all know that uh yp is clearly not from the west coast uh <laughs> he is clearly an east coast asian i'm from the 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 great commonwealth of virginia uh, yeah, compared we're, to we're california like low-key exposing ourselves is not another west coast asian podcast <laughs> yeah shocker. that's right and we're actually not from new york either yeah shocker double whammy i was born there <laughs> Oh, okay, never mind. No, no, but, but you know, at this point, I'm probably a Virginian. Virginian. Well, I'm living in Maryland for three three years so far. Um, but yeah, going back. So, so a lot of like Second Amendment rights people, a lot of conservatives now, like they're like they they love those photos and 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 they they ran with it. Like they used you're using Koreans as their own pro- source of propaganda, anti-black mm. propaganda, because they they see that oh man, like. These black people, those people, these mm. illegals or whoever bad group out there, usually brown or black skin, are yeah. again going back to yellow peril is like this 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 faceless horde that any chance so crime ridden, unredeemable, everyone's the same. Once they're unleashed, you know, like these B- these BLM protests, these these Antifa, mm-hmm. they're gonna go after you. That's why you gotta have these guns. Look at what the Koreans did. We gotta do the same thing. See, look at these minorities. They got their uh, guns and they're oh they're fighting against these black people. Like that's how they're characterized. And like unfortunately, there are there are few Kore- um, Asian men primarily who like drink that Kool Aid, drink that soju. Yeah, <laughs> and more appropriately, drink that soju. <laughs> <laughs> or Hennessy, I guess, depends on what region you're, oh. you're from. <laughs> but yeah, and and I, I think going back to the LA riots, and oftentimes like we don't ask the question, like, well, what led up to all that stuff, right? Yeah. What led up to members of the black community rioting, right? Right? What led to Koreans realizing, oh my gosh, like we are going to be bearing the brunt of this riot, right? And and a lot of times we only consider problems as problems when they finally explode in our faces but when you look watch this documentary right yeah it's like okay there's already segregation and and discrimination in 1991 there's economic recession so everyone is like this tension and stress is high right and there's a competition for jobs is already high there's a war on drugs crack epidemic then you know so law enforcement are disproportionately targeting black community right then you get the whole beating of the of the Rodney King uh, film out, and then right after that, like the this Korean store owner uh, Sun Daju uh, da like kills Latasha Harlan. She was like a 14, 15 year old um, uh, black uh, girl um, because uh, she thought that the store owner thought that Latasha Harlan was stealing a, like a two dollar orange juice. Yeah, and when in fact, like she actually had the money in her hands. So Sun Daju like mm-hmm. got a gun and killed Latasha Harlan in the back of the head, back. and yeah. the 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 judge was it was like a slap on the wrist, right? Like Sun yeah. Daju, I think, got like well paid a fine and did like some community service. So right. like each time of like the Rodney King film coming out, like the murder of Latasha Harlan, like black people had peacefully protested. For yeah. both Rodney and Harlan. And they're asking for justice. They're like, okay, you tell us to believe in the system. Well, well, why isn't the system working here? 
Right. And that mixed with like the tension between black and Korean uh, shop owners, uh, like Korean merchants were getting rich off of black customers via shops. And they still do in many cases, yeah, like, like in DC, Baltimore. Uh, I mean, mm. I, maybe, maybe those two examples are a little bit like older, but like they still do like many Korean uh, shops, like especially in urban areas own like liquor stores, black beauty supply stores. Right. And uh, then Korean owners were d- disrespectful towards their black customers. And when basically, like, the officers were, were, the verdict was not guilty. Latasha Harlins, that was, like, a slap on the wrist. And that was, like, the last straw with the whole, um, the officers uh, yeah, not I mean, getting anything. I think, yeah. I think that kind of, like, puts the whole, uh, like, goes back to the idea of Asian Americans being this cultural wedge of, like, oh, well, Asians are still valued like their lives are still valued more than than black lives at this point like she there was clearly footage and then to feel like our lives are not valued at all even when there is visual hard evidence like visual proof right um i think that can also be from a sociological standpoint also like be seen as another like this point of contention that led um to that yeah yeah and and later, like it, it, uh, it, the the footage and everything, like when people like sort of look back to it, mm. like the image of only black people rioting was actually turned out to be very mm. inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yes. there were people like rioting. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of black people actually helping other people. Yeah, like people that look like them, Latinx people, Asian people, right? And like there was oh, yeah. attacks on white Asians and Latinx like like it wasn't just like black on Asian violence right. right oh my god Latinx individuals got caught in the crossfire and I, yeah. I think I probably read somewhere I mean don't quote me but I believe I did read somewhere that there were more Latinx individuals mm-hmm. who were murdered and killed during that than actually black and Korean people yeah and um, those majority Latinx looters so it's so, so we right, see these right. stats just like like fucking up this whole stereotype right. of this this like boogeyman evil black community lawless mm-hmm. you know attacking asians like that's such a simplistic narrative and an inaccurate one like factually inaccurate right yeah, yeah. Right. so like i don't know it's complicated obviously and but i feel can... like i mean this pits us i mean it's an this is a prime example of like pitting of white supremacy and like the model minority myth and like right. these other things that factor into us believing these things and then actually channeling that and taking action harmful action against others pitting us against other minorities that ultimately keeps us all suppressed when rather we should be working together and mm. being in solidarity and actually doing actions like actually doing something together um because that's just perpetuating white supremacy it's perpetuating everyone's oppression other than white individuals so Um, so jen like what do you what kind of thoughts run through your head or maybe you might have a response for this of like young asian americans or maybe older asian folks who are store owners or whatever who are like yeah, but why are they looting me? Or why during these protests, like, I'm getting affected? Like, how can I help them or support them when they're hurting me, like, literally? Because I've been seeing, right. like, a lot of pushback on that, especially, like, in the early days, like, the beginning days of the uh, protests, you know, the police brutality protests this year. 
I still, right. you know, whether it's subtle Asian traits, I mean, don't even get me started on that thing, but oh, like, it's a problematic community. <laughs> yeah. A lot. I mean, there's good people out there and, and yes, yes. you know, there are, are people who, who, who got their head on right. And, and, you know, we're fighting a good fight, but there's also revealing like just how like racist as fuck oh, <laughs> yeah. some of these people are, and they don't live in the United States either. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's true. Right. When, when talking about subtle Asian traits on, on Facebook, that, that is a Facebook group for, for people that don't know about that. And it's pretty much for Asian, Asian people. Um, but even then this community is so problematic that they actually have discussions as to whether or not South Asians are actually Asians. Oh my um, God. So that's just an example to show, uh, Please take caution because that place is toxic, but sometimes positive too. So, <laughs> <laughs> a little aside, yeah. a little dictionary. We need we need a little dictionary here, like A B B A B G S A T. But not not the actual S A T. Oh my god! But um, yeah. But to go at to go back to your to your question, um, Yuansu, uh. Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually had to have a conversation with one of my local grocers. But this woman, you know, she kind of like talks to me. She's like, oh, like I'm having so much trouble during COVID and stuff. And I'm like, yo, I just want to have my, like, I just want to check out and get my like green, green scallions and my onion, <laughs> but, uh, and my garlic. But I'll listen to you. Like, okay. And she's like, yeah, like, you know, like, it's just really hard because I always have to, like, monitor people. And, like, I felt bad that I had to ask you to, like, leave your tote bag at the front of the store. I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. Like, I, I, I totally feel you. Like, that's fine. I mean, you make you can't, like, know people. She's like, yeah, like, like I, I felt bad asking you because you're like, you know, I trust you because, you know. And I was like, mm, you know, as in because I look like you because we are both Asian. Mm. You know, in my mind, like that's what I'm thinking. Right. And then immediately she said, and I had a feeling she was going this way based on the conversation because then she said, you know, like I trust you, but like there are other people, you know, like the black, the black people and the Arabic. And I was like, okay, like stop right there. I was like, I said like, okay, can, can we just like stop right there? Like you don't, you can't actually like make that assumption. Like you can't actually like say that, mm. like, sure. Maybe that happened to you once, but that you can't assume bad to everyone. Cause then I told her like, like I, I could be the same thing. Like, even though you trust me by how I look, like I could have taken something in my bag if you had just let me go. Like you can't make that assumption. So, and like, this is a complete stranger. Like I, I don't know this person. And like, maybe that's why I felt a little more comfortable to have that conversation. But when mm -hmm. it's like a family member, when it's like a, like a grandpa or like a, a an elder, um, I know within like our Asian community, like usually we have to respect our elders um, and like whatever they say, it's, Oh, it's like, whatever they say, like, I may not believe that, but you gotta just have to let them say whatever. Like, no, like this is the time to really stand up and say something, call right. them out. Right. And like have these conversations, like, like obviously in a respectable, respectful way. But right. like, I mean, I hope what I did with this woman was respectful. I mean, I've, I've gone back into that store and she's never like judged me or like said anything. But like, I, I mean, I hope that that could have helped because like right. what I could have done is been like complicit. Right. Like been like, OK, well, I'm just going right. to let her believe these things and not mm -hmm. say anything. But I I tried to open up that conversation. I tried to take action. I I don't want to just perpetuate that complicity of like, OK, well, that's how they feel. And like they're being racist right now. And like, that's just them. I'm just going to go out on my merry way. I mean, it's the same thing as like the black 
the black uh, tiles, the Blackout Tuesday thing. Like, okay, right. let's say I posted that on Blackout Tuesday, and then here's a situation that's like right in front of me, and I'm not gonna do anything. Mm, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. actually like act on like what I'm saying, I'm presenting on social media, and like this whole idea of like virtue signaling and performative like um, activism, like right. these are terms that are being kind of tossed around right now to kind of just exemplify exemplify like the irony of like okay you're gonna present this one thing on on social media but then when it actually comes down to it Mm -hmm. um in real life in real life situations are you actually going to like take a stand are you actually going to open up that dialogue when especially if like other individuals the marginalized individuals are not there like if black people aren't there am i going to still speak up right and the answer is yes and like hopefully that was just one of one of one of the many examples I hope to take moving forward. Yeah. Um. I don't even know if that answered your question, but no, yeah. <laughs> no. I, I, no. I, I think that that your your story really just points out like how something as simple as like responding mm. to a statement, like how potentially powerful it can be. Right. Like I'd rather have that than nothing. Let me say this. I I would say that people have this sort of like romanticized notion of oh my god if i want to like help i have to be out on the street protesting or i have to be like edgy or like i I don't know right but like whatever you can make an impact in your local community right and the whole term community can be like your friend group your family Mm -hmm. the the store owner in your local grocery shop like (laughs) right like that is your community And if you feel like you have the agency to speak up on something that you find is like harmful behavior, like then do that. Right. And, and obviously this is easier said than done. And, and for people who may have grown up, um, not pushing back on elders, right. Like, and for our Mm -hmm. non-Asian listeners, like, like, please understand there's a cultural (laughs) component for us here for Asian Americans, especially if we come from like conservative families yeah. of like yeah there there is a hierarchy right and, yes. and we can talk about Absolutely. confucianism later <laughs> uh, but like <laughs> i like how say later and it's like now no I'm okay fine we'll talk about it now no 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 no, no. <laughs> but i mean it's a good it's a good thing to point out of, of yeah. like yeah this is a part of our culture where we have to respect our elders yeah yeah, yeah. respect our elders and oftentimes even talking back is not is not seen as respectful right. um Right. And, and we can take the, the easy way out, like you said, like the performative allyship of posting that black square on my Instagram. But then yeah. when I hear something problematic, I just kind of give a weak smile and nod, even like, though I don't uh, post. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like the awkward, like, oh, okay. Oh, nah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Like give a bow. <laughs> right. And, you know, like, I don't think I'm that person that's going to be like out in the front lines but i i spent like the past couple of years like building up my my knowledge which in turn in turn like helped my confidence in pushing back on my family members um on certain problematic things or attitudes that they had right and and it is scary um at times but you know like Plan it out. Find friends that you feel you can practice on. Asian friends, if yeah. need be, right? Like, yes, have, yeah. <laughs> I am very comfortable with my with my sphere, as they know me to always be talking about these things. And sometimes it's like, Jen, 
we just want to eat dinner. And I'm like, but wait, but wait, let, wait, hold on. Before you bite into that, like, bulgogi, let me, like, just say one thing. They're like, no, we want to eat. It's like, okay, all right, I understand. But then, but that's the point where you stand up. Don't let them eat their bulgogi. <laughs> but, I mean, Yonsu, like, you are a history teacher yes. at a high school. And I would love for you to kind of go in on an example where, you know, the APIA community, like we've actually like banded together with with black individuals. Cause I mean, I know we definitely have a history of complacency and in ca- other cases, outright racism against black communities and other communities of color. Um, and I think we already kind of touched on like how we don't have to perpetuate that and like examples of like how we're kind of doing it in our own communities and like kind of glazing on like what we can do now. But with that sort of historical ta- context, I'm wondering if you can kind of like elucidate and like give us an example yeah. where that's actually happened. Yeah, sure. Um, I think um, it's not all doom and gloom, folks. Uh, <laughs> there there have been times where of solidarity. Like I feel like um, because m- many Asian Americans in this country don't know their own their own history, mm-hmm. like since we don't know who we are, like how can we have any mm. blueprint or inspiration of like understanding the present and the future? Uh, the perfect example that I can come up with is the Third World Liberation Front. So, very quick summary: um, in 1968, the Black Student Union at SF State University and UC Berkeley demanded that their schools accept more black students, hire more black professors, administrators, stop Air Force ROTC recruitment on campus and create an Afrocentric studies program designed, and I'm gonna slow down here, to teach content, academic content that reflected the black experience in the USA. So obviously, this is spearheaded, this whole story is spearheaded by the Black Student Union, right? Um, And because of San Francisco, as well as just California being the, having the demographics that it has, Asian American, Chicanx, and uh, Native American students got wind of what the Black Student uh, Union was doing. So they also demanded that the university administration create their own ethnic studies program. So with, with white allies, these eight black Asian American, Chicanx, and Latin American, oh, sorry, eight, uh, Native American students decided that it was better to work together as a group with very yeah. similar interests and, yeah. and to fight for what they want. And it was a third world liberation front, so TWLF. So the TWLF organized the longest student strike in campus history. They, wow. they were like, wild they were disrupting classes they were picketing outside they did sit-ins they marched and their peaceful protest was met by police violence and they, it was violent like horses came people with wow. batons or beating people upside the head like bleeding like people went people went to jail wow yeah and a lot of people were scarred from it right and but yeah. like eventually the university administrators agreed to the twf demands and This allowed ethnic studies programs to be established in higher education as well as in high school. And not so fun fact, 
the president of the university resigned, the original one, and guess who they propped up? A Japanese-American. Oh! Yeah. So that is a perfect example of model minority being used against, like a, a, like a person of color trying to be used against uh, mm-hmm. Black, Indigenous, and other communities of color, right? Yeah. Of the white system. And this is a perfect example of, like, APIA solidarity um, with Black and other POCs. Uh, there's an alliance, there's a trust, and relationships are strained through the struggle. But, like, our interest, our community's interest in this country, as well as other Asian American, I mean, Asian mm-hmm. diaspora throughout the world, often intersect with, with the interests of other marginalized groups. And in the long run, we get more than we think we get, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as an educator, like, I've learned that anything, help, anything that helps the most marginalized groups will ultimately benefit everyone. So, like, the water that rises will lift all the boats. So, to all our API listeners, when you think about the world around you, don't stop with what you see in front of you. Like, you, I want you to think big, think deeper. Like, we have to see our world in terms of power and ask those critical questions like who has the power to create these rules and policies right who has the power to redirect funds and resources and at the heat of the moment when we start glaring with i don't know latinx folks or black Mm -hmm. folks like take a take a step back and ask yourself hey are we just fighting over scraps because Mm. all these questions that's what happened with the la riots who ended up having the power of sentencing or not sentencing these people. Right. White people and people in power, like the judge, the system, right? And all that stuff, yeah. Right. It's like recognizing these spheres of power and then once we recognize them banding together, yeah. and doing something about it together. And it's freeing, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, gee, I think I think that's a great place to stop, part <laughs> one. I mean, Yonsu kind of just killed it right now. That was thank amazing. You. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm here every Monday. Yeah, I'm here, I'm here all week. <laughs> here all week. But um, yeah, so this is part one. And in part two, we hope to have a roundtable discussion with some of our friends. So stay tuned. Yeah. But thanks. Thank thanks, you. y'all. Thanks for listening. <laughs>